Beautiful people. We got to roll. If you're wondering what all the tables are for, we're having like a little, we're having a food fest after, uh, yes, food fest. We want to honor Diana and the team and everybody who helped out decorate and uh, add a little flair to the festivities. Yes. Uh, Sherry was just telling me that in the video, I don't know if you all saw, there was a, a girl at the end getting a sewing machine. Did you see that? So the girl aged out of the orphanage and we bought her a sewing machine so that she could go into business for herself because typically women, it's very same thing in Bible times. Women could, were not, are not culturally, I mean, India is a caste system and so, uh, and women are definitely part of the caste system. So, uh, they're not considered very high in society and oftentimes women can't support themselves and so um this woman now is going to have the opportunity to support themselves and typically what happens when they can't support themselves they fall into prostitution because that's one of the ways that the only ways they can make money and uh that's so anyway she wanted me to let you know that we bought her a sewing machine so yeah come on come on you you bought her a sewing machine right so uh, we're talking about, uh, we're doing a thing on uh, doctrine, so we're going to talk about communion today. I was going to try to hit baptism and communion, but there's just no way it's going to happen. So I just condensed it down to communion. We'll talk a little bit about baptism next week. There is a form if you want to sign up for baptism, but um, these are important things for us to know about. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about communion. We're going to talk about where we got it from. We're talking about what it is and why it's important. And so what, say this with me, what is concealed... In the Old Testament is revealed in the New. Everything God did in the Old Testament, the Bible tells us are examples for us. Everything God did in the Old Testament is a reflection of something that he's going to do in the future. And so God conceals things in the, in the Old Testament and they are fully revealed. Jesus is concealed in the Old Testament and he is fully revealed in the New and so they're types and shadows, representations. First Corinthians says this, all of these things happen to them, speaking of the Old Testament, as examples to us. And they were written for our admonition upon whom has come the end of all ages. Wow, that's just a powerful statement. God says all of the things that happen in the Old Testament are written to you as an example. So when Sam, Samson was a ladies man, it's an example. It's telling you, don't do what Samson did, okay? It didn't end too well with Samson. If you think it's going to go any different than it did with Samson, you're wrong. It's an example to us. When the children of Israel would not follow the Lord, but continued to pursue their own interests, their own self-interest, and they found themselves again impoverished and enslaved and, and just uh, subject to their environment, it's an example to you. When you see the people in the Bible that repented and came back to the Lord and God changed their season and changed their life, it's an example to you. All of these things are example to us and they're admonitions to do the right thing and not follow the old ways. Adam rejects the Lord. So we're going to get a little bit of basis here of where, where communion comes from. Okay. So we, we have, uh, uh, we have treated communion like it's, it's, uh, there, there's just a lot of misassociations with communion. I don't know if y'all ever heard this, right? So they were like, come to the Lord's table. So when I got saved, they'd give me a little tiny cracker and a little tiny thing of juice, and they'd go, come to the Lord's table. And I'd be like, wow, man. I mean, Jesus like, might need some help or something. And then, this, is the Lord, this is the Lord's table? Wow. No, this is the Lord's table. It's, it's a banquet. It's a feast. It's a, it's a thing. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on spiritual cows 
So we get this reference of spiritual cows from the Old Testament. And uh, there's a place that uh, the, the religious leaders were considered, were called bulls of Bashan. And there's a verse that says, strong bulls of Bashan have surrounded me. Bashan was where the rabbis were, one of the schools of the rabbis was. And so they were these, these strong bulls or these religious cows would always oppose Jesus. And so a lot of times we have religious positions that are in opposition to what God says. So when I make a reference like I'm going to step on some spiritual cows, right? Some of your belief systems, some of the ideas and the understandings that have been taught to you. We used to go moo every time somebody would step on our spiritual cow. Uh, so uh, I'm going to show you some things in the scripture. Adam rejects the Lord. So I want to put the context of what, what, what um, communion is, where it comes from. Adam, say this, Adam rejected Jesus. But Jesus, in spite of Adam, still chose mankind. Aren't you glad? Just because we reject him doesn't mean he rejects us. Just because we turn away from him doesn't mean he turns away from us. The Bible says if we're faithless, he's what? Faithful. He will not deny himself. He will not deny who he is. So we have Jesus. Adam rejects God and separates mankind. Mankind falls uh, Noah and Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. So from Adam to Noah, and then from Noah, God finds a man in the world named Abraham. Abraham believed God. He was the only one that actually would hear the voice of God in the midst of a culture and actually began to believe the voice of the spirit when no one else would. So God chose Abraham because Abraham had faith. Abraham had a son and a grandson. He had a son named Isaac and he had a son named Jacob. From Jacob, God creates a people. From Jacob comes the Hebrew people. Anybody know what Jacob, Jacob had his name changed. Anybody know what it was changed to? Israel, right? So the people of Israel come. Israel means prince of God or princes of God. Princes, princesses of God. That's what it means. Summoned or royalty of God. So God chooses through eyes through Jacob and Jacob was not a good guy. And through Jacob, he creates a family. And from this family, he creates a nation. The purpose of this family, the purpose of this nation was to be a people to whom God would give his word. That was a whole, there's several points. God's chosen people. Anybody know? Aren't you special? Well, what makes you special? We're the chosen people of God. Well, you're chosen for a specific reason. The Hebrew people were chosen, just like the church is chosen in its generation. They were chosen, and that's all tongues, all tribes. God chose a specific ethnic group of people, the Hebrew people, to give them his word. He says, you are to keep my word. You're to write my word. You're to, everything I tell you, you're to record, and you're to preserve it, and you're not to change one thing. They were to keep the word. They were to keep their bloodline pure. They were not to intermingle marriage. Their bloodline was to be pure. Their ancestry was to be traced through Abraham and ultimately Adam. So Jews had to be able, if you were a Jew, if you were a priest, you had to be able to trace. If you were, if you stood as a priest in the temple, your ancestry had to come through the line of Levi. If it did not, you could, you were disqualified from being a priest. And all of their ancestry was heavily recorded. The book of Numbers in the Bible. Anybody ever read the book of Numbers? And you're going, what's the point? Well, the point is the genealogies and the ancestries that they were required to keep. Because the, the point was, is that when Jesus came, they would follow his bloodline all the way back. They could trace Jesus. Luke traces him all the way back to, uh, to Adam. Matthew chases him back through David, ultimately through Abraham. 
right? So his bloodline could be traced. He was a Jew of Jews. He was born of the tribe of Judah, of the lineage of David, of the house of Abraham. He was not only born of the house of Abraham, Jesus is traced by Luke all the way back to Adam. So his bloodline was recorded. How were they able to do that? Because they were very meticulous about keeping their genealogies. Most of us can go back a generation or two. The Jews, up until the time of the temple, if you were born a Jew, your family lineage could be traced until there was no more record. All of the records were destroyed when the temple was destroyed. Interesting. You know why? They didn't need it anymore because the Messiah had come. Up until that time, no matter what happened to the Jewish people, their genealogies and their records were always recorded and always kept. They never lost them, no matter what happened. But once the temple was destroyed, they became irrelevant. They were no longer necessary because Jesus had come. No, no, Shiloh has come. Every, all of the purposes of those records have now been fulfilled. We don't need them anymore. It became, it became uh, what's the word? Uh, irrelevant. There's the one. There you go. Thank you. All the wordsmiths out there. <laughs> and from the Hebrew people, God would call a people that would, that would call upon the Lord. God says, I, call, I chose you as a people who were not a people. Jesus always chooses the outsider. This is beautiful. You want to know who he is? Jesus, the Bible says, not many noble are called. God used to constantly correct the Hebrew people because they would rise up and they would become very great in the land. And the Lord says, listen, let me just remind you of where you came from. Okay? You, nobody wanted you. Nobody looked at you. Your ancestors, the word Hebrew, you know what it means? People from over there. That's what it means. Oh, those people. God chose those people. All of us in the room, we're some of those people, right? Nobody wanted, nobody thought about, nobody considered, but Jesus chooses you. He chooses you. Through a series of events, through Abraham's family, through Jacob, the, the tribes of Israel would come. The family would grow through a series of, of events. They ended up in Egypt. I'm not going to get in on all this, but what I'm trying to do is bring you into communion. Communion comes from Passover. It's important to know that. If you don't understand Passover, you will not understand communion. No, it's completely, it just doesn't mean anything. So we have to understand at least the basis of what Passover is. Through a series of events, they were taken down into Egypt. While they were in Egypt, they were in Egypt 400 years and change. They prospered. So they weren't slaves the entire time they were there. The Hebrew people in Israel and in Egypt were prospering. They were doing very well. They were succeeding. They were growing abundant. And there was a political upheaval. The government shifted. A different power broker came in charge. And it says, there arose, a, there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. Joseph was one of Jacob's sons. You guys know Joseph? You guys ever heard the story of Joseph? Joseph went down to Egypt. You know that story? And jo Joseph and his family was very close to Pharaoh. He was second in command. And, through a, and, and all of the uh, successive Pharaohs had, had a favor upon the children of Israel while they were down in Egypt, except there was this political change. It says verse six, seven, uh, verse one of, uh, or excuse me, chapter one of Exodus says the children of Israel were fruitful and increased and multiplied and grew exceedingly great in the land. So they were prospering in Egypt, but there arose a new king, a Pharaoh who didn't know Egypt, another uh, who didn't know Joseph. So a Pharaoh comes in charge and he goes, who's this dude? And who are all these people? And why are we showing them so much favor? And so this says that this Pharaoh set taskmasters over them. He enslaved them. 
through a political process, they that were once favored now became enslaved. So we're basically, if you want to know the history of it, the, uh, the, there was a group, of, a group of people from the south, from the southern part of Egypt, took over the north. All of the power of Egypt was always in the north. And so the, Egypt was always a divided land. The southern kingdom conquered the northern kingdom in Egypt. And so the southern kings came in charge of the north. And when they did, they changed everything. And the north was the part of Egypt where the most of Goshen was where the place where the, where the Hebrew people were. So these southern, these southern tribes of Egypt took over the north. And when they did, they got rid of everything. They drove out the former people, probably murdered a lot of them. That was typically the case. They killed all of their enemies. And anybody, they either enslaved their enemies or they drove them out. And it's rumored through history that the, the people of the north fled Egypt and went went a different direction. And so this Pharaoh comes in power. He doesn't know Joseph, enslaves the Hebrew people, and he begins to build, say with me, treasure cities. The common thinking is that the, the, the Jews built the pyramids. And so Egyptologists and historians go, the Exodus is not real. There is no historical evidence that of anything Jewish or anything Hebrew in the Temple Mount. The Jews did not build the temples or did not build the pyramids. And I go, I know that. Because the Bible doesn't say they built the, te- they did, they built, built the pyramids. The Bible does not say they built the pyramids at Giza. A slaves built it, but they weren't Hebrew. Bible says that they built treasure cities of, of Pithom and Ramses. It doesn't say they built the temple or the pyramids. The, the treasure cities of Pithom and Ramses are on the northeast side of Egypt. They drove out their enemies and they began to build fortified cities on the border and they used the Jews to go and build. I guarantee you, if they go and excavate where Pithom and Ramses are, they will find evidence that Jews were there. But they don't excavate that. They don't. The Bible doesn't say they built the, they did, they built the pyramids. It doesn't. It tells us that they did and that they were enslaved and that they made bricks, but they built the treasure cities of Pithom and Ramses. And if this Pharaoh afflicted them more and more and more, everything he did, he enslaved them. He made their lives hard with bondage and rigor. Egypt is a type of sin. So if you want to know what God is doing here, he's mirroring to man their lost condition. The man is lost in the bondage of sin. Their life is hard. They're slaves. They have no control over themselves. They have no control over their environment. They are under an oppressive taskmaster, under an oppressive leader named Pharaoh, who is a type and shadow of Satan. That's the idea. That's the imagery that's going on here. Jesus is the Passover what? Lamb. So you get the imagery that's going on here? They came out of the bondage of sin and the rulership of Pharaoh by the blood of the lamb. You understand that this is what's going on here. And he made their life hard. And so the people begin to cry out to the Lord. It's as if they hadn't cried out to the Lord in a while. You know why? Life was good. They didn't need to. You don't need Jesus when you're rolling. People don't come to Jesus when they're rolling. They don't. They don't. It's not that you can be financially, you're going to be people that come to Christ are bankrupt somewhere. Maybe not financially. Maybe it's emotionally. Maybe it's physically. Maybe it's spiritually. They can have money. You, you can be broke in a lot of ways and not just financial. Can I get a witness? Okay. They hadn't called on the Lord in generations. You know why they didn't need to. They were rolling. I mean, they were doing good. Now they're under bondage. Now they're in sin. It says, then they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord goes and finds Moses. And he says, listen, I have heard the cry of my people. They've cried out to me. And because they have called upon me, I will answer. 
Your problem, most of your problems are, you have not because you ask not. You do not call upon the Lord, or you do not know what is rightfully yours, or you position yourself and posture yourself before your Father as a person you are not. You are not a victim. You are not a beggar. If you pray to God as a victim and a beggar, you might as well I better say it. Write it down. Send it out on Twitter right now. If you pray as a beggar and you pray as a victim, he will not answer you. He will not. Because he does not recognize you as a beggar. He does not recognize you as, as a victim. You have to pray to God as a son. You have to pray to God as a daughter. You have to, if you do not assume that posture, heaven doesn't hear. He doesn't even, he literally doesn't recognize you because he doesn't see you as you were. He sees you as you are. You used to be a victim. You used to be a beggar, but you're not a beggar anymore. And you're not a beggar and you're not a victim anymore. Well, you don't know what my life looks like. It doesn't matter what your life looks like. Truth and reality. God deals with us on the basis of what is true. He doesn't deal with us on the basis of reality. You can be broke, but you're still a son. You can be, you know, we, we identify with our circumstances and we don't identify with what is true. And we wonder why we can't relate to God. We're relating to God on a wrong basis. It's, I'm telling you, begin to pray like a son and watch him answer. Begin to stand as a daughter and watch him answer. This whole weeping at the altar nonsense that we do and we love to practice, it's a show of vanity. I'm serious. The only people that makes happy are the people, the religious people. Oh, oh, the church was lamenting in repentance. Oh, you don't find it. it. You don't find it. They were to rend their hearts and not their garments. They were to stand before the Lord at a sincere posture. And they were to cry out from their spiritual position that God would work in their land. He didn't say lay out and weep before me. If you, anytime you see it in the Old Testament, God immediately when he comes upon that, he says, get up. Read it. Read where every time people are doing that and the Lord confronts that and says, get up. Get up. We lay out and we act like beggars and oh, we look good and oh, oh, it's so religious and it just, it just teems in us and we just feel, oh, Wasn't Brother Joe so repentant today? Did you see the tears on Joe's face? Oh, Lord, look upon his tears. Look upon Joe's tears, Lord. Have mercy on Joe. Nothing's coming. I'm going to tell you now, I've been in this game too long. This religious nonsense, I don't have time for it. Because you know why? Say it with me. It doesn't work. It's nonsense. Doctrines or dogmas of men representing a God that he is not. That is the nature that the Father has that he does not possess. That's not who he is. Stop being a beggar. Okay? Just write it down. Some of you guys need me to take notes. This afternoon, step one, go to the mirror, slap myself on each side of the face, look in the mirror and say, you are not a beggar. I'm serious. You need to wake yourself up. I'm not a beggar and you need to slap yourself a couple of times and say, I am not a victim. I don't care what my circumstances are. I am not a victim in all these things. I am more than a conqueror. I assume my rightful place. What shall we say to these things? I speak to my circumstances. This is not my inheritance. This is how you have to operate. This has to be your lifestyle. This has to be your practice. 
typical Christian practice, typical church training, lay out and repent before the Lord, weep before him, sackcloth and ashes. Read where where they go, oh, we've repented with sackcloth and ashes. And Jesus goes, you think that pleases me? Take away from me the blood of your offerings. Take away from me the bull and goats. Give me a heart that's true and sincere that knows who you are. Stand before me rightfully. Stop looking pathetic. I don't have joy in you looking pathetic. Stand up. Get on your feet. Assume your rightful position and take what is rightfully yours. The devil mocks you all day long. And you know what he does? Oh, you're a victim. Poor you. He's got a, you know what he's got? He's got a violin orchestra playing laments behind you. He's got the, you know, the, the, whatever that, the bass, he's got the cello, he's got all of the lamenting instruments as he serenes you with songs of sadness. Oh, Moise, you're such a victim. God doesn't see you. You know, Jesus has got songs too. I don't know if you read your Bible. His songs are songs of war. His songs are songs of victory. He's not singing a lament over you. He is singing over you, but he's singing the songs of victory. The devil's singing the songs of the men. He wants you to come to the pity party. He'll, he'll decorate the table for you. You want a pity party? He'll throw you a bash. He'll bring people from the north, the south, the east, and the west that'll pity you all day long. Jesus doesn't throw pity parties. Every funeral he encountered, he raised it. And he didn't, Jesus didn't go, oh, all the weeping women, all the weeping people, he put them out of the room. This isn't a pity party. I'm not here to weep with you. I'm here to bring victory. Oh, Jesus, don't you cry with me. Come He's not going to cry with you, Christian. He's not. Call somebody else. Call Dr. Phil. Watch Oprah. You know, I don't know what you do. What, will, you draw your, will you draw your misery? People love misery. They don't like victory. Victory requires personal responsibility. You have to assume personal responsibility if you want to change. And most people don't. They want to just feel bad. And they want everybody else to feel bad. Nobody's feeling bad for you. Every, you know why? Because everybody's got some crap. You know? We all live in a world that's a train wreck. That's just the facts. Nobody feels bad for you. They understand. Hey, I understand. We're to be a people of victory. We're to lead others in victory. We're not to just be, we're not to be victims, Christian. We're not. We are the victors. We're the people that we go through stuff and we overcome and people are to look at us and go, how did that happen? How did you overcome that? Jesus. That's the idea. Jesus was mirroring the fall of mankind. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, let these people go. Their God wants to worship, wants them to go and worship him. You know what he says? This is the worst. This is absolutely the fundamentally worst statement anybody could have ever made in the Bible. This is the, if there's some bad statements, this is the worst. Pharaoh goes, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And Jesus is like, did, did this dude just seriously ask who I am? Did he seriously just ask? Pharaoh was surrounded by gods. He himself was a god. Who is this God of the peasants that I should listen to them? The God of the farmers? The God of the brickmakers? Do you know who I'm a God? And you want me to listen to the peasant God? And so God strikes all of the gods of Egypt. The ten plagues were striking every one of Egypt's gods. 
They worshiped the Nile. God struck it with blood. They worshiped the sky. Down came hail. They worshiped the earth. Life sprung up. You know what they did? They worshiped their physical appearance. They were good looking, buff, oiled and tanned. They had CrossFit long before there was CrossFit. That's right. They had workout attire, gym clothes, and they liked to shine it. And God struck them with boils. The God of their health, the God of their flesh, the altar that they bowed to. How many people bow down to that altar today? Godly, there's nothing wrong with exercise. Physical exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable to all things. What if you put the same time in your spiritual development that you put into your physical development? Two hours at the gym, four days a week, and you can't sit in church for two hours one day? Who are you? Who are you? Are you Arnold Schwarzenegger or are you a son or a daughter of the highest? No, seriously, who are you? Who are you? Yeah, he struck them with boils. Their physical appearance meant nothing anymore. They had a goddess, Serapia, who, who oversaw all of the grain, the goddess of the grain. And Jesus is like, okay. And he brings locusts. See if your guardian will protect your grain now. He struck the sun. Anybody know the Egyptian sun god? Ra. Became dark at the noonday. You want to worship the sun god? Watch this. Jesus just, you know what Jesus did? He put his pinky over it. That's all he did. Put his pinky. Held his pinky over the sun and said, you know, raw, it can't even move my little pinky. (laughs) And then Pharaoh himself thought himself a god. Pharaoh was God. He was the god of gods. And God struck the firstborn of of the Egyptian gods. You can't even save your own household. You are powerless. Utterly hopeless and helpless before me. You can do nothing. You want to know who I am? This is who I am. That's what he did. Some cool stuff off this. I can't say it all, but I, I, I'll, I'll sidetrack myself. I'm going to stay on the notes. But before he struck Pharaoh. Uh, no, I'm not going there. I'm having an inner monologue. Inner monologue. Just tell the people these things, Kevin. No, I'm not saying that. I'm staying on my nose. Before God struck the before God struck the Pharaoh, he told Moses, on the twelfth day of the month, I want you to do this. And when every household, say every household, they were to take a lamb and they were to bring the household into their house. They were to keep the lamb for a few days. They were to examine the lamb, make sure there was no spots or blemishes, make sure there was no disease, make sure it didn't have any broken bones, it wasn't cross-eyed, googly-eyed, or buck-toothed, you know. They wanted to make sure that that lamb looked, was perfect and without blemish. Do you know why? Because God deserves your best. Jesus isn't interested in your broken three-legged table. He's not interested in whatever you got left at the end of the month. He's not. He's not interested in if you've got a little time for him today. You know what he says? Cape all your time. If I'm not worthy of that part of the honor of your life, then you can have it all. I'm not. He doesn't. Everybody thinks, oh, God's making me. He's not making you do a thing. If you don't understand honor, everybody say it with me. Keep it. That's right. Keep your time. Keep your talent. Keep your treasure. You don't understand honor. You understand nothing. You need to go and learn honor before you do anything else. This is not an obligation. It is an act of honor. And in the act of honor, it creates access. Access to our identity, access to our rights, access to our inheritance. I I have these arguments and debates with believers. I don't even do it anymore. But people would argue with me all the time. Oh, we don't have to go to church. I'm like, no, you get to. You are commanded to go to church, but you're under free will. 
You don't want to go to church, then stay home. Watch how your life erodes. You don't want to give, that's fine. God says you will bring your money home with a bag of holes. It will, you will be out of money before you set foot across your doorstep. Christians are symbiotically bound to the gospel. You cannot, once you come to the Jesus, you're not just saved with an insurance policy. You become part of a kingdom, an entirely different culture, an entirely different system. That's why we are in the world, come on, but we're not of it. Christians cannot operate according to the concourses of this world. We can't. What used to work for you in the world doesn't work for you anymore. Do you know why? Because you're not of the world. What you need to do is learn the ways of the Lord and follow the ways of the Lord and be obedient unto his ways. And heaven moves with you. Heaven moves over you. Most of the believer's problems is a disobedient, arrogant heart. They're either disobedient and arrogant or they're completely ignorant. I'm on a quest to get rid of the ignorance. The arrogance I can't do much about, but the ignorance I can. You, you cannot have ignorance anymore. You can be as arrogant as you want to, but you can't say, I don't know. Christians for 20 years say they, don't, they never knew that they had to tithe. I'm like, well, who, where have you been going? Christians for 20 years saying, oh, I never knew I was supposed to get involved in church. I'm like, well, where have you been going? Who taught you? Who taught you? Faithless shepherds. Mute dogs. Can't bark. Too afraid. Don't want to offend anybody. Okay. Bowing to the gods of the people. The fear of man. Oh, the fear of man. Oh, the fear of man. But the fear of God. Man can do nothing to me. Do not fear the one that can destroy the body. Can I get a witness? Am I know the verse? (laughs) Fear the one who has power over all. Reverence the one. Not fear, but revere him. Honor the one who has authority over all things. He tells Moses, I'm going to pass through the land with an outstretched arm. People go, God's judging the world. God's not judging the world. There is no judgment of God in the world right now. None. If God was judging the world, you would know it. What people experience is the consequences of sin that is judged. It is an indirect judgment that God has placed upon sin. And therefore, when the sin, the cycle of the, the, the reciprocal cycle of the consequences of sin is what is experienced. There is no direct judgment of God. When God directly judges, you're going to know. He has refrained himself because the offering of Jesus has been made. He has reserved his wrath for the day of wrath. So don't you go saying that God's judging me. Who told you that? Your Bible does not say that. Your judgment, as a relate, as a, if you want to call it that, is a relationship to the consequences of, of, of willful errors that you are making. Willful intentions, willful mindsets, willful decisions are bringing about consequences. Sinful people and sinful systems. But none of that has a relationship to God's judgment. There is no judgment. The Bible says when Jesus comes again, who will abide in the day of his coming? Here he's telling Moses, I'm going to make my arm bare. You want to know what my judgment looks like? Watch this. Fire's going to fall from the sky. Unfathomable numbers of locusts will consume everything the eye can see. The whole land. You know, we have these little plagues of locusts that they see in Africa. The Bible says the whole land of Egypt, the entire nation, frogs so much that you can't count them. Beetles, because they worship the beetle. You're going to have beetles in your, in your kitchen. You're going to have beetles everywhere. 
boils appearing on everybody as they're walking out of the gym. What's that? Hey, man, look what... Dude, you got to see a dermo, yo. (laughs) No water, the river turns to blood. That's God's judgment. The sun is blackened, that's God's judgment. Totally different world. Totally different. He's not judging. Not judging. Again, bad theology. Very bad teaching. Not biblical theology. Not biblically correct. Say, people teach that. Well, I know they teach that. But it's not, the, it's not in the scripture. This is as the waters of Noah to me. For as I swore in the days of Noah, and the water passed over me, so I swear by this, the blood of Jesus, that I say with me. He will, he will. be angry with me angry. No, more. no more. Who told you he's angry with you? God says, I swear to myself that there is nothing you can do to make me angry with you again. He's not angry with you. <laughs> Choose life that you may live. Stop choosing consequences. Stop choosing things that have a negative impact on your life. Eat the bread that offered that comes to life. I, God can't go to you. What we do, we want to be, we want to be little sinners, little self-consumed sinners. And then we want God to bless us in the midst of our self-consumed sin. He's not going to do it. He won't bless you in the midst of that. He won't. He'll provide for you. There's a difference between provision and blessing. I've been in some really dark places and Jesus has always took care of me. <laughs> but I knew there was, some th- there was way more than what I was experiencing. There was way more than being hand to mouth. Right? There was way more. If I was content with being a survivalist, then he would have left me there. But I wanted more. So he'll move you from survival to success to significance. That's his path. It's his desire for all of you. Not some of you. All of you. He tells Moses on the 14th day of the month, I'm going to pass through the land. <laughs> I'm going to pass through the land. I'm going to be, he said, with an outstretched arm. Jesus is like, I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to put my tank top on. I'm going to make my arms bare. You think, you think you got guns? You, Jesus, nobody's got guns like Jesus. Right? The gun shows on. So he said, I'm going to make my arm bare. I'm going to walk through the land. I'm going to pass through the land. And I will strike the firstborn of all of Egypt, not just the north, the entire nation. The people in the south didn't even know what was going on. But God said, I'm striking the whole nation. Birds, beasts, everything. The firstborn of all will, will perish. Why? Because, well, number one, it was, it was vengeance because the Pharaoh had destroyed and killed the, son, the firstborn son, children of all of Israel. You know the story. He threw him into the river. That's how Moses was saved. Moses was drawn from the river. And so God's vengeance, say it with me, vengeance belongs to Jesus. He'll repay. And God's like, you know, been waiting a while for this. So you remember when you destroyed my firstborn kids? Remember how now you're both, I've given you, I've given you a big period here for you and I to come to terms. But you keep fighting me. You keep standing. You keep proclaiming yourself as God. And I'm going to show you, you can't even protect yourself. And he struck the firstborn. I'll give you one. All right. Do I have time? I got time. Yeah, I got time. I do. I'm due. I'll just go faster through something else. This is crazy. In Egypt, they know the dynasties by the chariot wheels. I don't know if you know that. One of the ways they know the dynasties of Egypt is by the chariot wheels. So I don't know what the rim styles are, but when I was growing up, it was Craigers and Centerlines. Anybody ever heard of those two brands? Right? If you had Craigers on your car or if you had Centerlines on your car, you were the man. 
That's the time period of the 80s and the 90s. I don't know what they are in the, in the 2000s. I don't know what, what the, what, who, what, you know, when you're flossing your 22s, I don't know what, I don't know what brand that is. But the, the pharaohs would roll. So when the dynasty would change, they'd change the, ferriot, the, 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 the chariot wheels, the size, the number of spokes. This is going to freak some of you out. can't be proven, but it certainly makes sense. I believe it could be proven. But the problem is, is that people willfully forget they war against God. The earth will confirm everything God has said. The problem is, is that they willfully suppress the knowledge. Woe to those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So this goes on. There's plenty, of, there's plenty of affirmation of everything God has said in the earth. Plenty of it. Go to Pithom and Ramses. You'll find Jews there. You'll find that Jewish colonies live there. Guaranteed. Go to Goshen. You'll find that Jewish colonies live there. There's no evidence that the Jews lived in Cairo in, in, in large numbers. There's no evidence that they lived in Memphis in large numbers. There's no evidence that they lived in um, uh, Giza in large numbers. But Because but the, the Bible doesn't say that's where they were. The Bible says they were in Goshen, they were in Pithom, and they were in Ramses. They were throughout the land, but their cultural centers were, was Goshen, Pithom, and Ramses. If they go to Goshen, Pithom, and Ramses, they'll find Jews. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. They lock that down. So, the, so the, the time of the Exodus is dated to a certain period. They change it all the time whenever they so, arb, when it so arbitrarily fits their purposes. And, um, but the, the chariot wheels of that time period look a certain way. They're like a four-spoke chariot wheel with like a, kind of like a flare on it. The same chariot wheel from the time of the Exodus is the exact same chariot wheel that they found in the tomb of Tutankhamun. Yeah. Yeah. Boy king, firstborn son of Pharaoh. Could it be? I guarantee you, if they were to look closely at that, there's a high probability that that is true. A high probability. Signs in the earth and wonders in the heavens and signs upon the earth. God said, I will put signs in the earth and I will affirm to you that what I said is true. There's no, there was no, it was unforeseen treasure. Now again, say it with me. This can't be proven. Okay, right? It can't, it could be proven, but they won't prove that. The last thing they want to know is get, was definitely Egyptians. The last thing they want to do is give Hebrews any credit. (laughs) Muslims are not on a mission to make Jews more famous. They're not on that mission. That's not part of their doctrine. So anything that says this happened, this confirms the story of Exodus. Tutankhamun was the boy king, the the boy that died during the Exodus, the firstborn son of Pharaoh that was slain. It's Tutankhamun. Interesting. I could tell you more, but I I don't have the time. No treasure on the earth like that was found in Tutankhamun's tomb. Loved son. Israel, when Israel left Egypt, they were at their zenith. They were at their peak. The peak of the, the height of Egyptian power is when God struck them. And the lavishness of the treasure that was thrown upon the boy that died. They don't even know why they died. You know, they've examined his body. They think he died of a yeast infection or some sort. From bread or moldy bread. I mean, they don't even know. They, don't, they can't even figure out why the kid died. He just died. Could be. Just a thought. Certainly makes for a great story. He tells them to kill the, kill the lamb. Every household was to take a lamb. They were to kill it between the evenings. So they had to kill, kill the lamb between the hour of three and six. Jesus died between what hours? Anybody? Between three and six. 
Specifically, that lamb was to be slain between the evenings. Every household was to slay the lamb. They were to take the blood of the lamb and strike it upon the doorpost. They were to take the entrails of the lamb out. They were to wash them, purify the inwards, take the entrails out. What's the point? I don't know, but they were to wash the guts. They were to take the guts out, wash them, and then salt them, and then cast them into fire. So every part of the lamb was to be consumed with fire. And they were to take the, the lamb roasted on a spit, and then as the, when the lamb was done, they were to eat the whole lamb. They were to eat it with their belt on. They were to eat it with their staff in their hand. And they were to eat it with haste, bread of haste. Bread that was made very quickly. What's the mirror here? The mirror is, is when salvation visits you, don't wait. Don't wait. Well, I'll do it tomorrow. Well, I don't know. I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready. Man, if salvation is at your door, do not wait. And God said, when I pass over the, over the land, I will see the blood upon the doorpost. And I will pass through the land. But of you, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the word pass over. When Christians become born again and the blood of Jesus is applied to your, your heart, your life, you pass from life to, from death to life. The judgment of God is passed over you. There is therefore now not ever will there be condemnation upon the Christian. The Christian will never have any condemnation or judgment placed upon them by God in the event of condemnation, ever. Your judgment is in relationship to the stewardship of the opportunities that were given to you. And that is not so that anything can be taken from you. God will judge the Christian not to take something from them. He judges the Christian in in, in an effort to reward them. He can only reward you based upon the faithfulness that you have demonstrated. He can only reward you based upon the stewardship of the opportunities that he's been. The Bema seat is where the Christian goes. We don't go to the throne of judgment. There's two thrones. The unbeliever goes before the white throne. So when you see these guys have a near-death experience and they're like, I was traveling through a tunnel of white light. That's not a good thing. Not a good thing. You're going, when they go, I was going and it was like a disco ball. And there were colors everywhere. And I swear there was an angelic EJ going, oons, 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 oons. <laughs> you're going through the right tunnel, the rainbow tunnel, the disco tunnel, the ball. You're traveling in the right way. The white tunnel of light is not the one you want to go. Oh, I had a near death experience. I went through a tunnel of white light and then I came back. It means you're going in the wrong direction. The white throne is not where you want to go. It's not where you want to go. You want to go where the party is. <laughs> where Jesus is doing like Travolta moves, you know. Jesus says to the people, so here's the idea. He brings them out with blood upon the doorpost. They were to eat the lamb. The lamb was to be consumed and the blood was to be applied to the door, the entryway of their life. You get it? This is where we get communion. Is the blood of the lamb, the body. Jesus references this in John 6. He says, all the people are gathered around Jesus. They all bring him together. Jesus has been giving them fish and chips, bread and fishes for a while. And they're like, hey, where's the dude that, fi- that serves the fish and chips? Oh, he's over here in the valley. And so all of the crowd followed Jesus over into the valley. And Jesus goes, you're not following me because of the miracles. People go, they only follow Jesus because of the miracles. Not according to Jesus. They didn't follow him because of the miracles. They followed him only because of, the, of their carnal provision. <laughs> You're not seeking my face. You're not coming to me for who I am. You're coming to me for what you want. So he said, I know why you're coming. You're not coming because you truly love me. You're not coming because you truly adore me and you want more of me. You're coming for what I can do for you. He said, I know that. 
And so they start referencing him. They start giving Jesus a Bible study. Okay? You're not going to out-Bible Jesus. I'm just going to tell you that right now. You, you can't give Jesus a Bible study. You can't. So they start giving Jesus a Bible study. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. Moses gave them manna. What sign will you provide for us? Jesus is like, oh, we're going to talk about the, we're going to talk about the Exodus. Let's really talk about the Exodus. Then he gets, he doubles down. He triples down. They bring up the conversation of the Exodus and Jesus flows right into that conversation with them. It's like, all right, let's talk about the Exodus. It's not Moses who gave you the bread. It was the father who gave you the bread. And it's this father who gives you the true bread that comes down from heaven. This bread that comes down from heaven will give life to the world. Crickets. Then they go, Lord, he doesn't say anymore. But they say something. When Jesus makes, say it with me. You guys are going to learn this. When Jesus makes a statement, come on. It is always an invitation to another question. The Bible would have ended this conversation right here if they had not gone on. How can this man give us, he begins, it's the the true bread. They said, Lord, give us this bread. And so he goes on to talk to them about it. How, and they, and he says, the bread is my body. You want the bread that comes down from heaven? The bread is me. I am the bread. That's what he tells them. And they they argue among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. (laughs) Ha ha. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. There's a promise for you. My flesh is real and my, my real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father has sent me because I am in the father. So the one who feeds upon me will live. This is what he's telling them. And Peter starts going, Lord, you're offending them. They're, they're grumbling amongst themselves. So what Peter starts talking about. You know what the Lord says? If you read this in the Greek, I was telling this to Sherry this morning. He said, if you read it in the Greek, he says, stop grumbling among yourselves, babies. Infants, stop grumbling among yourself. You're supposed to know this. And you're offended because I'm telling you something that you're supposed to know. That's what he says. Then he says, he goes on. He, He didn't stop there. He says, does this offend you? Then how much more will it offend you when you see me sitting on the throne by the Father? And then they went bat crazy on him. It's like, oh, does that offend you? We don't want to offend anybody. Jesus wouldn't offend. Man, read the word. He calls them babies. Some of you, you need to look in the mirror and say, grow up, baby. You've been a Christian too long to not know your word. What is your major malfunction? Seriously, you've been a Christian how long and you can't come to church? Are you kidding me? Grow up, baby. You've been a Christian so long and you don't know how to tithe. You don't know how to give. You don't know how to pray. Grow up, baby. Rise to the level of your birth. Jesus would never say that to me. He didn't say it to one person. He said it to the whole crowd and he didn't blink. You babies, does this offend you, babies? Let me say something else to you then, babies. Modern church has no context for what he says and how he says it. The reason is, is he sees in them more than they see in themselves. And he is calling them to the level of their potential. He is not satisfied with them living beneath their potential. And he's saying, grow up. 
Oh, he said, grow up. Oh, he called me a baby. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> That's how we are. Pastors would never say this. They'd never say that. Say what he actually said. Tell them exactly what he says. Say what Jesus said to the crowd and say it the way that he said it. They won't. They won't. He says to them, grow up, babies. Does this offend you? Let me tell you another one. And then he says to them, the words that I'm speaking to you are spiritual. Babies, I'm not talking about biting on my arm, babies. I'm speaking to you in a spiritual context. You're supposed to understand what I'm saying and you're supposed to be able to discern spiritual things. But they were so consumed with the carnal. They were so worldly and so fleshly and so natural in their thinking that if he said something spiritual to them, it offended them because they could not relate to it at all. Everything they saw, the whole conversation begins with bread for their flesh. And Jesus starts talking to them about bread for their spirit. And they don't get it. And they get mad. And they get upset. How dare you tell me I need to change? How dare you tell me I'm not spiritual? Well, I'm not telling you anything. Jesus is telling you. He says, what I tell you is spirit and they are life. The words that I speak are spirit and life. But yet limitless is your unbelief. I'm releasing to you a dynamic word from heaven. And yet you sit there and have a limitless unbelief. Jesus isn't satisfied, and he will call you to account on your potential. That's why when you're born again, born again isn't for everybody. It's offered to everyone, but Jesus says, count the cost. You want to be born again? This is what I expect, and this is what I will expect. We treat it like an insurance policy. You're giving your life away. If I have an individual conversation with somebody about coming to Christ, I make sure they understand you're giving your life away. Do you understand that? Same thing with marriage. You're saying yes to this woman. Oh, yeah, man, I'm yes, yes, I'm all in. Yes, 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 yes. And I said, but are you ready to say no to every other one? Because if you're not ready to say no to every one, then you're not ready to say yes to this one. That's just the way it is. Jesus is the same way. It's not yes to Jesus and yes to everything else. It's yes to Jesus and no to everything else. Your life does not belong to you. No part of you belongs to you. And Jesus holds you accountable to your, to your potential. He was talking to them. It's the word pino in the Greek. Pino Grigio. <laughs> Someone's like, I want some of that now. <laughs> it means to drink figuratively. It means, it means uh, literally, but it means figuratively to draw from, to consume, to absorb, to swallow down. They would have known this. God spoke to them in figurative language all through. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Open up wide. Eat my words, he said. Were they literally eating his words? No, they weren't. They would, they, this figurative language they would have known. Draw water from the wells of salvation. Were they literally drawing water from the wells of salvation? No, they weren't. Were they literally eating his words? No, they weren't. So they act like, well, we don't understand what you're saying with cross eyes. When he had spoken to them for generations, figuratively. He's speaking to them figuratively. So after this has happened and God, God, Jesus, we have the Exodus. Then we have Jesus referencing it that I'm the Passover lamb. Eat of me, consume me, your life, all of me for all of you, me and you, you and me to the very base level of your blood. That's how you are to operate. That's what I expect. Your fullness and my fullness, my fullness and your fullness. He tells them to set up a series of events or a series of feasts. The feasts of the Jews. They're not the feasts of the Jews. Say it with me. They are not. The feasts of the Jews. What does that say? Leviticus 23. These are the feasts of the... 
Lord, the feasts do not belong to the Jews. The feasts belong to the Lord. And he says, they are convocations, they are feasts, and they are convocations which you shall appoint as you proclaim in their time. What God says, he uses two words. The word feast, say it with me, is rehearsal. Say it with me. Rehearsal. Every feast, so there's, there's, there's seven biblical feasts. The Jews added two. Jesus didn't have a problem with it, but there's two, there's seven biblical feasts. You have Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Pentecost, Rosh Hashanah, or Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Those are the appointments. God, and every one of the feasts had a script attached to it. They were to follow a script. So when they, when they went to do Passover, they had to follow a script. When they did Unleavened Bread, they had to follow a script. When they did Pentecost, they had to follow a script. They had to do something. Every time there was a feast, Pentecost, they would go out and the priests would go out. This is wild. They would go out and hew palm branches and they would sing a song. They would sing the psalm, freely we draw from the wells of salvation. And they would walk towards the temple with palm branches going like this. Whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And when they arrived at the temple and sung the song, the priest would pour the water down the steps. What happened on Pentecost? Anybody? What happened? Acts chapter 2. Like a rushing wind, and it was poured out. They were rehearsing for a time that God would meet them. The idea of feast was that the people were to rehearse. The convocation said, you're in my data planner. Means appointment. God said, you're going to rehearse for an appointed time in which I will meet you. So for 1,500 years, they rehearsed the Passover for an awaited, appointed time in which God would meet them. And on the cross at Calvary and in the upper room, Jesus came. The Passover lamb came and completed and fulfilled. And he was the unleavened bread. And he was raised on the day of first fruits. The day. Yes. They were to celebrate unleavened bread for seven days, which meant sinlessness. The completion of sinlessness. Jesus, the Passover lamb, would complete sinlessness and would rise from the dead on the day. Everybody say it with me on the day of first fruits. Why? Because he's the firstborn and the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead, fulfilling first fruits on the day of Pentecost, the Holy spirit come four have been fulfilled. Three haven't. <gasps> Do you think that if Jesus fulfilled four feasts, he's not going to fulfill the last three. What are they? Trumpets. Not just trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, the blowing of the ram's horn. <laughs> the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. And with the sound of the trumpet, the archangel, the dead in Christ will rise. Trumpets. God will fulfill trumpets. He was the in, it's the great in gathering. It's the day of the, that is the new year, the head of the year. Passover is the, is the religious year, but Rosh Hashanah is the governmental change. That's the year where the government changes. When Jesus blows that shofar on the Feast of Trumpets, and he will write it down, the government will change. The government of heaven will come. Will. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. God will atone for the rejection of the sins of Israel. Tabernacles. The tabernacle of God is now with men. Revelation 21. God will come down and put his temple upon the earth. He will fulfill the last feast. Absolutely, he will. In exact sequence and time as he has ordained. Moeds and Mikras. Appointments and rehearsals. We're supposed to rehearse. 
Passover was about a lamb, it was about matzahs, and it was about wine, four cups of wine. You don't think it was a party? Jesus didn't say, hey, come before me, and I want you all to just cry. There's only one day, in the, one day of the year they were, to, they were to lament. There's only one day they were to lament, and it was on Yom Kippur. And they were to lament, lament over their sin because their sin would be rejection. They were going to reject the Messiah. And they would lament over their sin, and the Lord would atone for that sin. God will atone for Israel's sin. Not all, all of Israel is not Israel. So not every Jew is going to get saved. But those that are of Israel will be saved. Romans 9 through 11, or Romans 7 through 9. There are three, four cups, right? I know I got to end. I'm almost done. We're right there. We're right there. We're right, we're right there. Right there. Four cups of wine. So Seder, what a Passover is, is it's a, it's a ceremony. Anybody ever been to a Seder? Right? We used to have them. We probably will have them in the future if anybody's interested. We do Jesus in the Passover. It's awesome. It's awesome. So there's four cups of wine. Each time they, they, would, they would follow a script, and they would follow a trail of wine, trail of blood. They would follow a trail of wine through the Passover. They would drink the first cup, the cup of taking out. They would drink the second cup, the cup of rescue. They would drink the third cup, the cup of redemption. And then they would drink the four cup, which is the cup of bringing out. Jesus is celebrating the Passover. The Last Supper is the Passover meal. So Jesus is having a Seder with his disciples. And at the Seder, at the Passover, I won't get into all of it. I won't do the afikoman. It'll take me too much time to explain. Anybody know what the afikoman is? At the beginning of the feast, there's three matzahs on the table. The, the, the overseer of the, the, of the Passover takes the middle matzah, breaks it in half, wraps it in linen, and hides it. At the end of the feast, the afikoman is brought out. The one that was broken and taken away will come out at the end and reveal. Okay? And so the afikoman, yeah, if you're a Jew, you should really, I don't know how, you, if, if you were raised a Jew and you know anything about the gospel, my question is, how do you not get this? How can you not see this? I mean, I get it. Gentiles were like, what? Passover? Matzah? What is that? I'm, I like Ritz crackers personally. I mean, that's what we are. But if you're a Jew, you're raised in this. And so they would bring out the afikoman at the end of the feast, and it would always be at the cup of redemption. And Jesus took the afikoman, unveiled it, and broke it, and said, this is my body, eat. And they would have probably fallen out of their chairs. Jesus said, I'm the afikoman. I'm the bread that was broken, taken away, and now I've come. That's who I am. I'm the resurrection. And then he says, take, and he cups it at the cup of redemption. Not the cup of bringing out or taking out or rescue. At the cup of redemption, Jesus said, this is the blood of my body. Drink. They all drank. The fourth cup or the third cup together. They drank it. Okay? The third cup was the cup of redemption with the Afikoman. Jesus instituted this is what communion is. You understand? Communion is this. This is where communion comes from. It is the fulfillment of 1,500 years of promises. Christ is the fulfillment of 1,500 years of promises. God is faithful, He does not fail. God is faithful, His promises will not fail. Communion isn't just this little bread and cracker. I'm not going to get this last part in, but I'll do do it second service. And the last cup is the cup of bringing out. And Jesus put his hand over the cup. He didn't drink the last cup. Remember? Am I know the story? I will not drink this fruit of the vine again with you until I see you again in the kingdom. Ready? Jesus only drank three cups. Do you know why? Because he's got a big keg or whatever of cab salve waiting for the bringing out when christ comes from his church he he brings us out 
It is bringing out and unto himself. Christ has redeemed us, but he's not fully brought us out, and he's not fully brought us to himself. So Jesus, Jesus completes redemption, but there's a cup that's waiting for us to be drank in the kingdom. You will drink wine with Jesus in the eternal kingdom. I'm just saying. Say, what's it going to be like? I don't know. I, I have no idea. Is it the same wine we drink? I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is it's going to be good. It's going to be, a, it's, it's a vintage that's 2,000 years old, so it's going to be really, really good. <laughs> and it's waiting for you. There's another part, but I'm out of time. We're going to take communion. I want you to understand what it is. This isn't something the church just made up. It wasn't a bunch of people sitting around going, hey, this would be a good idea. You know, let's represent God's abundance with a tiny little cracker and a little bottle of juice. How about that? Wow, what an abundant God he is. <laughs> this is just symbolic. It's representative. It represents the body of Jesus that was given for you. It represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled for you. So when you take it, I want you to have an understanding of what it is. I want you to have an understanding of what was done for you. Right? So if Jody's going to play, and if she plays, we're just going to come up, and I want you to just grab the, the cracker. Well, like we got to give everybody a loaf. We're going to celebrate God's abundance. We need to give you like a, you know, <laughs> here, this is communion elevate style. And give you a gallon of Welch's and a, a loaf of bread. Why? Because God's abundant. He's not a little tiny God with little tiny crackers and little tiny juices. He's a big God with big promises and big purposes. So if you guys would just do, we'll pray. And as after I'm praying, just come up and grab, the, grab it and bring it back. So, Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the promise keeper. You are the promise maker. Lord, we pray over this time. We bless this time. We sanctify this time. And we honor you in it. It's all about you, Jesus. And we bless you. In Jesus' name. So if you grab it and come and bring, bring it around and we'll take it together. Thank you.
testify. You want to testify? Hold it up. Say this. This represents the body of Jesus that was given for me. Oh, this is good. Before heaven and earth, I believe it and I receive it. Let's take it together. This represents 